Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 115. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. I am so excited to get, have another lady with us because there are so few women in the real estate investing world. And this woman I have tremendous admiration for. She has such a great story and I'm so excited for her to share it with you and to share some of her wisdom about the different kinds of income and the taxability of that income. She's just so smart about all this. And so with that, welcome to the show, Gina Lofton. Well, thank you, Holly, for having me on. I'm really, really excited about sharing knowledge with anyone who wants to know about financial freedom and real estate and taxes and how I did it. Great. Well, why don't you start with giving people your background and your backstory, if you would. Yeah, sure. Certainly. So, um, you know, I grew up in South Central LA. I was a homeless foster kid with absolutely no money. I never really wanted to depend on a company for like my, my living my, or having a roof over my head. And I just, you know, couldn't figure it out. So um, back then, I read that little purple book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think many of your audience probably started with that book. And at the time, I was working for Ernst & Young, which is one of the biggest CPA, audit, and tax consulting companies in the world. I uh, had a wonderful career, loved what I did. But I said, oh my God, if I ever lost my job, and if I didn't find another one, I would be homeless. And so my fear of being homeless, having been homeless, as a kid, you know, it was like, it was just, I mean, I was like literally shaking um, out of fear. I was so afraid that that eventuality could be possible if I were to lose my job. So that's what prompted me to try to figure out how things worked. And mind you, I had an MBA at that time, right? I still didn't know. And I was still like, you know, working and working and doing all those things that we were taught to do. You go to school, you get a job, you work somewhere until you're 65 or 70, and then you retire and you hope you have a, you know, retirement to live off of. So that was kind of um, my background um, just in general. But then I said, okay, I'm going to buy a piece of real estate, which actually my first piece of real estate was a piece of land. I I, which I still own, by the way, but I was literally that naive, right? I didn't really, there wasn't, back then, there really wasn't, the, the internet was not as prevalent as it is today where you could go and learn things and coming from where I come from, there, I didn't have a mentor or anyone. There wasn't like, you know, these real estate groups that you could kind of go and network and ask questions. You just had to like figure it out. Um, so I bought a piece of land, which I still own. And, um, and then I, Eventually, you know, within a year or two, I bought like a townhouse, right? And it was, you know, I don't know, $200,000 in the valley. Let me interrupt and ask. Um, well, first, we should tell people you're still in the Los Angeles area. What yeah. is the valley when you talk about the valley? So I live in Los Angeles, California. The valley is like um, north, like Cal State Northridge. Um, north of L.A. North of LA, exactly. North, of, it's a region north of LA. I happen to live near the beach, near the ocean, near five minutes, five miles from LAX. It's a beautiful area called Ladera Heights, which I love very dearly. And that's where I reside. And I've been here for a few decades, like 20 years. So the valley is, um, you know, north of LA. 
and nice community, um, centrally local, you know, it's, it's maybe 45 minutes from Los Angeles. And it was a townhouse. And um, I began, because I was working for Ernst & Young at the time, I was living all over the world, right? I, you know, as a consultant, that's what you do. That's the business. You go out and you, you know, many of, actually many of the Fortune 500 companies I've consulted to around the world, it doesn't really matter, across all industries. So I was doing that for a while, but my house was vacant, right? Monday through Friday. And I said, this makes no sense for me to fly back here on a Friday to leave again on a Monday. So literally once I, I rented that place out, right? And then I just stayed in my corporate apartments. And when I came back here, I would just rent some place from my sister or whomever. Um, and when I came back to LA on the weekend. So that was kind of my first introduction to like real estate investing. And this was, you know, 20 years ago, a long time ago. Um, that's how I got started. And that was my first deal. That's awesome. So you decided to um, make a higher and better use out of your personal residence and say like, okay, I'm going to rent that out and my, and I'm going to go stay somewhere else because I can make money off my own home because I'm never in it. I think that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We always talk about highest and best use for real estate, whether it's land or buildings, or sometimes it's tearing down a building and you sure figured it out there with that one. <laughs> yeah. I just, it just like literally didn't make sense for me to have it empty and it was like, I, and, and, you know, I was like, okay, I could save so much money by doing this. Right. And I did, I literally did. I, I saved so much money because I had no expenses, but, you know, because I was living at a corporate apartment wherever I was, you know, I was living in Brazil and Europe and all over the United States. That's what I did for years. And I loved it. It was great. Um, got to see the world, got to save a lot of money. And I, then I, the money that I saved, then I bought, another place, right? With all of the capital that I was able to accumulate over time. Well, tell us about that place. What was that? Yeah. So basically, um, I like to, I, I watch markets and real estate cycles. I'm an, my MBA is an international economics person foremost. So I'm always looking at various investments, various, various asset classes of when to buy and when to sell and blah, blah, blah. So Back then, I was living in Brazil, and I said, okay, I, I need to come back to Southern California. To me, there's only been around three times in my lifetime that I can remember to, where it made sense to purchase income-producing properties in Southern California. And this was one of those, this was the second time in my life that I saw that. The first time was during the RTC, when the, the RTC was the Resolution Trust Corporation when the SNL crisis happened back in the early 80s. That was the first time. And then this time it was like at the end of the 90s, like 98, 2000. And I was living in Brazil and um, the market had gotten really soft. Everybody was into the dot com stuff, the Googles, the AOL, not Google, but the AOLs and the Yahoos. And, you know, everybody was doing all that Silicon Valley stuff. So real estate was pretty depressed. In Southern California and so I came back and I bought um, a, an amazing house actually and um, I lived in that house and it you know I bought it for it was a foreclosure for like three hundred thousand dollars and I ended up selling it for maybe eight hundred thousand um, what that is amazing did you have to do any improvements to it yeah I did I did I had matter of fact I always um, 
so for me, I am, I do value added real estate. So your audience knows um, how I like to do real estate because I like design and rehab and um, I like to improve the value of, of assets, right? It really doesn't matter what kind. And I enjoy doing that with houses because, you know, it's just nice. It's cool. It's fun. I mean, Holly, you know that. You, that's, that's your specialty. <laughs> yes, that's what I do. I love it too. Yeah, it's really, really, really fun. So, um, so yeah, it was a house and I, you know, I may have spent maybe $50,000 remodeling it. It wasn't a real big deal. Um, and I remodeled it and then I um, ended up sell. I lived in it and I sold it um, at the top of the market right before the crash in 2000. And actually, this was 2004, I believe. Um, and the crash was 2008, so it was a little early, but I couldn't believe that crash lasted that long, but it did. Yeah. I mean, it was a very extended time for, I mean, I couldn't believe the, the run-up lasted, like it took so long for the crash to happen, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was a consultant, I was closing up the banks, right? So I was, you know, in, in bankruptcy. This, after I sold that house, I took my money off the table, right? And then I just waited out because remember, it still was going, right? The music was still, I remember I built another house. I said, I'm gonna build another house. And I built it in La Kenyatta and I did a flip in La Kenyatta. This was in 2006. Okay. And I, yeah, and this was in 2006. And I remember the construction lender comes out and I got a construction loan to do all the rehab and, you know, to, I, it wasn't a complete teardown. I, you know, um, I took a house and added square footage and, you know, sold it. But I asked the lender, like, what is the temperature in the lending communities and, and you know, with the lenders? And so he says, well, the music is still playing. And all I can think about is, oh, my God, the music is still playing. I need to make sure that I get myself a seat when the music stops playing as if musical chairs remember as you, you're a kid you're playing musical chairs and so that appraiser said that to me this was in 2006 now mind you right prior to this was ameriquest mortgage so i was consulting to them helping them i go back to dc and help fannie mae and fannie mae at that time wants to continue to wants to buy subprime loans right and i said you shouldn't buy any of those loans and blah 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 and anyway, they wouldn't listen. That's why they're in conservatorship today. But yes. <laughs> that's a whole different story. I mean, it's amazing how these experts don't know. And so um, even Ben Bernanke at that time, remember the subprime crisis was contained. And, um, you know, and I was telling everyone it's going to crash. It's going to crash. This was in the mid to 2006. And no one would listen. <laughs> it was just, it was like, it was actually just like it is today. That's the irony of it. It's like I'm, re I'm living the entire experience all over again. No one can see exactly what's happening. And it's, it's just, it's really eye-opening. Anyway, so in 2006, um, I built the house and I had to get in and out, got my money out. I bought it for maybe 600000 added about $200,000 to it and um, sold it for about $1.2 million. Wow. So those, both of those flips, you made almost 100% on I barely made it out, though, because the oh. it was, you know, La Cañada, first of all, if you flip houses, and your audience should understand this, that 
your timing of, of everything is, is extremely critical, number one. And if you're in a community that is, La Cañada is a really good school system. So people want to move their families there to go to those school systems, just like Manhattan Beach or any other community that's got a really good public school system. So the timing for you to sell should be, you know, should align with when people are moving. Otherwise, your pricing is going to be, um, you know, maybe challenged, right? Like, I don't, I like to buy during Christmas. I don't like to sell during Christmas. So I like to be a, I like to be a buyer when it's cheap. I like to be a seller in the spring. Anyway, so to say, I'm rushing, rushing, rushing to get this thing built, to do everything I was going to need to get done and to get it sold, you know, while the market was still ripe, because I knew I wanted to make sure that I had a seat when the music stopped, remember? Yeah. From Fraser, the Fraser said, "Well, the music is still playing." I said, "Well, I got, I'm going to have a seat. I got to have a seat too." So I sold it, and I said, "Oh my God! Oh my God!" And so the first quarter of 2007, um, the music is still going. Nobody knows. And I, I get a call to close down New Century Mortgage in Orange County, which at that time was maybe the number one subprime lender was AmeriQuest Mortgage, who's also my client. And then it was New Century Mortgage in the first quarter of 2007. And I said, oh my God, and I'm closing them in bankruptcy with the receiver, right? So whenever there's a bankruptcy, New Century Mortgage had filed for bankruptcy. And remember, mortgage brokers are not banks. They actually lend money then they package the loans and then they sell it off to Wall Street, right? Right. Um, at a very simplistic level, that's how it works. So the first quarter of 2007, I'm closing up New Century Mortgage and I see, oh my God, oh my God, it's going to be so, so bad. And Holly, it was so depressing. I cried every single day that I was doing this you know, project, closing them up. Because their mortgage lines were with Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, blah, 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 right? And I remember calling the head of credit risk at Fannie Mae, right? And I said, are you guys going to do something? And I'm begging, I'm screaming, 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 like, please, please. To me, it was like treason. I mean, our U.S. bond, our, you know, our U.S. Treasury Department, like, how could they allow this to happen? I just couldn't believe it. And... And then I was a little bit second guessing myself too. Like I couldn't be right because nobody else knows this but me, and I'm not that smart. I was a high school dropout, right? Like, <laughs> You're smart. Come on, give yourself some credit. Yes. You know, now I believe that because I was right. So as I was closing down New Century Mortgage, and no one would listen. It was like that movie, The Big Short, for anyone who has seen that movie. I was screaming off the top of my lungs, um, but no one would listen. And I said, oh my God, how am I going to save myself? Because when it collapsed, I don't want to have anything to do with this, right? Nothing. I don't want to have anything to do with this. So what does a girl to do? So I said, okay, well, in order for me to get security for myself, I need to be in something that, that is going to be like a utility company. And um, it was 2007, and I said, whoa, that's kind of boring, right? You know, I'm, I can't, like, utilities, electricity, and water, and, like, that's so, so boring for me. Um, I said, okay, well, at that time, there was Blockbusters everywhere. Remember Blockbuster Video? You would go and rent a video? Yes. And I remember the only industry that I had not touched with technology was television right? Because the pipes were not that big yet. You know, we, we didn't have 4G. 
We didn't have 5G, right? It wasn't even 2G or 3G back there in 2007. So I don't, you know, I design a life based on my personality. I don't like driving. Everything needs to be very close by and it needs to be transformational. So direct TV, you know, was the answer, right? It fit everything that I needed. And it, I knew that it was going to perform like a utility. It was an asset that I could build, right, from nothing. And, you know, I helped build from nothing with, a, you know, grow the company. And it was going to be sh shielded from the, the collapse that was to come. So um, DirecTV, honestly, I made a phone call to my friend at the time who worked at DirecTV. He was, um, he and I worked together at Ernst & Young. He says, Gina, I need someone to come do this, this, and this. I said, I have no idea what any of those three things are. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was like, I have no idea what those three things are. It was the website, right? Which was the, you know, the way that people bought television and streaming, right? Which you see today, but back then, no one did that, right? Right. And direct, so it was streaming, it was engineering, and it was all the new products, right? And I'm like, wow, to me, I, I, like, I was super excited because this is, oh my God, like, this is like the heart of, of the entire company, of a technology, of a company like that. And I said, yeah, no, I said, well, he, and I said, I don't know anything about it. He said, you'll do well because you came from E&Y and that's how we were trained and blah, blah, blah. And I said, my God, this fits it. So I went to DirecTV and I spent a decade building that asset called DirecTV. Now, mind you, it took a, a whole 12 months for the collapse to happen in 2008, right? That's when Lehman Brothers collapsed, almost one year to the date. And and when Lehman Brothers collapsed, I said, oh my God, it's happening. I'm in my office watching DirecTV <laughs> and I'm watching the whole thing come down. And then Hank Paulson, he was our treasury secretary. He goes and he gets the $800 billion bazooka. And so because I understood how things work, I said, oh my God, he's about to start printing money. The fans are going to print money. They got to do that because... They got to bail out the banks. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And so at that time, I said, well, I, I, and that's when I started, I went back in and started buying, right? And I, and that's what, and Ernst, and I said, I got to go buy and I got to go buy real quick. Here's another piece of factoid that's very, very fascinating. I was homeless and in a city that's Inglewood, California is where I started my life. I was born in Inglewood, California. So Inglewood was is five miles from LAX and five miles from the beach and happens to be right down the street from where I live and direct TV. And I do value added real estate, right? I like to buy rehab, make it worth more. So I said, I want to focus on Inglewood, right? And this was in 2008 or nine, right? So I started buying properties in Inglewood. So I go and I buy a duplex, and um, dirt cheap, I think it was $500,000. And actually, I live in that duplex for a few years. And I start, and then, and then actually, I live in the duplex, and I can't even get a loan. I mean, the banks, remember, the banks got all the money from the, from the feds. And for every, all of your listeners and viewers, just so you know, whenever the fed actually goes and issues bonds, that is taxpayers' money. You, they got to make that money back. And the only way they could do that with is with taxes. They don't make anything. They don't sell anything. So if you don't understand debt and taxes, 
Um, I suggest you learn and, and I help people teach that I, or learn that. I teach that as a matter of fact, because a lot of people don't understand this. Debt and taxes is really the financial illiteracy piece that people don't really understand and kind of, you know, and how I could see things. Anyway, so back to the story. So I bought this duplex and I lived in it and I go and I buy another, um, you know, I'm trying to get another loan or another property, you know, I'm, I do, I love to do in Southern California at that time. Remember, I love different assets at different types of, um, you know, I, I like assets when they're cheap. Like DirecTV was prime in 2007. I wouldn't be in the TV business today. We sold DirecTV to AT&T. So I'm a, a shareholder of AT&T and it just, it just generates passive income, which is dividend income, right? It's all the same to me. It could be rental income, oil and gas, dividend income, business income, blah, blah, blah. To, so at that time, I said, I want to focus on four unit buildings, right? Because I want to be able to buy as many as I could, and I want to put 30-year debt on it. I wanted to get Fannie Mae loans. And at that time in Southern California, especially Inglewood, there weren't any multifamily properties that were in default, right? It was mainly the one to four that had problems. This was that whole real estate collapse was not really the apartment sector. It was just the one to fours. And I don't want to spend time on condos and one units because, you know, then I'm going to miss out on my four units. Then I'm going to miss out, you know, if, if Fannie Mae only can give you approved 10 loans, then for me, it was just basic math. Okay, for 10 loans, that's either 10 single families or 10 fit four unit bills. I got 40 units. So it was just like a, a math equation. I want to control as many units with long-term 30-year debt as possible. So the, the only way I could do that is with four unit buildings. So I focused on four unit buildings. And because I was, um, you know, I didn't have much money, right, at this time. And mind you, I had made a really bad investment. My worst investment was in 2006. I invested to be a Ponzi and I lost a half a million dollars. I mean, oh. I was, which, which at that time for me was, oh, I mean, it was, it was probably, it was 90% of my net worth, right? So I had to start oh from God. scratch all over again. Yes, all over again. And if you have any, if, if you've ever lost money before, um, it is the worst thing. If you don't know what you're doing, your listeners are, your, you syndicators that are out there raising money from people, stop. Don't do that because it's, um, it's extremely dangerous and it sets people behind and it, you just wouldn't have, want that to be done to you. Anyway, um, well, I'm very- and Let me just interject really quick if I can, because I've had um, quite a few friends get also wrapped up in a Ponzi scheme from a man, I'm not even gonna call him a gentleman, and woman who were in Southern California, we won't name their names, but a ton of people lost their life savings, their college yeah. kids savings, and it, overall, I think these people took, um, four and a half million dollars. I had a little piece of money in that in the grand scheme of things. Thankfully, it was really small to me, but I've heard a rule of thumb. Everybody has to come up with their own finance rules, but to maybe not invest more than 10% of your net worth in any one thing so that you can protect yourself from sharks and bad people like that. So every, you, you know, listeners, you guys got to come up with your own rules, but don't ever put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, Gina can attest to that, how horrible that was and what a setback, but 
it sure didn't stop her or ruin her for life. So <laughs> tell us, yeah, tell us I, what happened next. It, yeah, I, exactly. It didn't, I mean, it really just knocks the wind out of you. Right. And I, I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, I was, I was literally, you know, you're depressed for a while. Right. But yes. you have to get back up and you have to go do it again. Mm -hmm. um, and just start from scratch. If you did it once, believe it or not, because I did it once, I knew I could do it again. And to be quite honest with you, I, not only did I do it again, I did it faster the second time. And I did it during the worst economic depression since the Great Depression, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had the skills, so you knew what to do and you could do it again. Exactly. Yeah. So I got, you know, yeah. Anyway, so I get I got better. Um, I got smarter, as you should, you, as you should do. You're, you're wiser. Um, anyway, so I made it all back and then some and a lot faster. Um, anyway, so I, I began investing in these four unit buildings and because I understood money, debt and taxes, I said, I've got to do value added real estate, which to me means something specific. And it means I'm going to buy a building. I'm going to increase the value. Unlike a single family property where it's based on comps, right? I mean, you have comps in multi, you know, in, in four units and more, but you have, it's based on the income, right? right? So I want the income, I'm increasing the value based on turning the units and putting in new tenants and releasing the properties at a higher um, rental rate per month, right? And right. In a nutshell, that's how it works. So at that time, then I now could go back to the bank and do what's called a cash out refinance. And that's, what my definition of value added real estate, where many people they're calling putting lipstick on a pig, value added, you know, they, they got all kinds of definitions. Mine is very, very, very specific. And I really get frustrated when I hear these real estate people using that term for something that it doesn't mean this, right? right. So it, mean, it is very specific for me that I'm gonna put my money in and I'm gonna get my, all my money right back via the cash out refinance. Mm -hmm. And then I'm gonna keep that asset in order to generate cash flow. So I knew I needed to have X amount of dollars in passive income in order to get out of the rat race. And that at that time was $100,000 a year. And so I needed a million dollars earning 10%. This is simple, simple concepts. It's not complicated. And I appreciate using simple numbers. So a million dollars a year earning 10% a year throws off 100,000 in income a year, yet leaving your principal intact so that it will continue to give you 100,000 a year to live off of. So yes, very well put. Yeah, exactly. Now, there was a little problem. I didn't have a million bucks, right? I was oh. like, I'm like, oh my, you know, so when I did this little basic calculation, I'm like, oh shoot, how am I going to get a million dollars? Like, oh my God, oh my God, right? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then remember, this was in 2008 or nine, right? Nobody had money because they just, they lost everything. And so <laughs> rather than with a Ponzi scheme like myself or through investing in the market and the this and the that, no, you know, I couldn't go raise raise capital and blah, 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 blah. Not, I didn't even want to. So I said, there's only one way to do that. And that is with debt and making sure that I paid as less low in taxes as possible. I hired a team of experts, Tom Wallwright, which you might've heard his name before, which is the rich dad, CPA, blah, blah, blah. And you know, all, all these people, my accountants, my attorneys. So we came up with a strategy for how I was going to do things to minimize my taxes, right? 
with real estate, with the tax code. I was a real estate professional for tax purposes, right? Because I met the qualifications, um, you know, based on the IRS tax code. So the tax code is just a, a bunch of incentives to, um, for us to do what the government wants us to do. Once I figured that out, and once I figured out the debt component, and I'm using both of them, I got out of the rat race really, really quickly in like two years. So I was, I just bought a building and I minimized my taxes. I didn't have a million dollars. So in order for me to get to the million dollars, I had to print money legally, right? That was my answer. And printing money legally meant using debt and paying no taxes, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I couldn't go and just go to the Xerox copy machine and do it, right? That was that. I, you know, I'm not going to go to jail. <laughs> so printing, I had to print money legally. And I knew that. And actually, I still do. Everybody must know how to print money legally because the feds have been printing money. When Obama came into the White House, it was $10 trillion of debt. When Trump took over, it was $20 trillion of debt. So if you didn't grow your wealth proportionately to what the U.S. debt has, you are behind. And if you haven't made money with free money, because money's been free ever since 2008, then you've wasted a decade, right? I mean, that's plain. Now, what do you mean by free money? Clarify that for our listeners. Yeah, so what I mean by that is when um, the collapse happened in 2008, what the Federal Reserve did at that time, which was, he was Ben Bernanke, which became Janet Yellen, which today is Powell, right? Is the Federal Reserve Chair. Right. Well, they reduced interest rates down to zero right? Interest rates just went down from maybe 4% to 3% to 2% to 1%, almost negative. So I mean that the cost of money, I could go out and borrow very inexpensively. And you still can today. I mean, money is free. And that's what I mean. Money has been free for a decade, if not more. And it continues to be free. I mean, even though PAL has increased interest rates a few times, I mean, if you look at the 10-year treasury today, it's at 2.5 plus or minus, right? And almost right. three. I mean, money is still cheap. They, they, as a matter of fact, here's the thing, guys. They cannot in increase interest rates because if they do, they're going to go into default. They can't afford that payment. They cannot increase interest rates because your cost of money becomes too expensive to service, right? And, yeah. it, and it, Holly, this is so important. I'm going to give you an example, okay? Over that 10-year period, I built billions of dollars of assets under my own portfolio. So I went from two units and I have 4,000 doors today, right? Uh, apartments, units, apartments. Because of debt, I built another asset called DirecTV, which we sold to AT&T for $48.5 right? They used debt to buy DirecTV. What did Amazon use to buy Whole Foods? Debt. The whole world has gotten filthy rich with debt. But yet when I go in to talk to people, they're like, I, I don't know what they're, I don't know why they don't know this. Um, that, that's what's really frustrating and um, scary actually. Um, because if you haven't been able to do it with free money, I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. Anyway, the whole world, it went from, and not only that, it's got to continue because Trump's got to go from 20 trillion to 40 trillion just to pay the debt. Right. Even if 
GDP is still growing. You have to understand how money works. You know, Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971. So this, you know, I don't care if you like Trump or don't like, I don't really care what you like or dislike. The point of the matter is, is let's just control what we can. And that's our own financial statement. And if you're not using debt to build wealth, shame on you. Go figure it out. Um, or go to my website, GinaLofton.com and figure it out. Uh, that's, that's the point. I mean, money has been free for 10 years and you could just Google 0% interest rates. I mean, uh, for a credit card, it's, you know, they're giving them all out everywhere. Even today, I could go borrow on the credit card for 12 months at 0%. I could buy lollipops for five cents for at no money. Right. And I just use the bank's money and then I sell them for 10 cents. I made five cents. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, lollipops. <laughs> I don't really care what it is. <laughs> I, I am, um, I'm an equal opportunity lover of all assets, Holly. I do right. not discriminate. That is my affirmative action. Um, <laughs> I, I love them all. <laughs> all the ones that have a good return, you'll take them. Yeah. Absolutely. A good return. And I'm buying them at a discount. I love things on sale. Right. Well, we are getting to the end of our time. You've just been a wealth of information on the economy and how debt works. This has been awesome. And I want to let our listeners know that we've got two opportunities for people to get more from Gina. So the first one is um, at my website, as always, if you go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 115. Show 115 is which um, show this is. Gina is going to give us her financial freedom formula cheat sheet calculator. And then also um, you can get that by texting to the number 38470 hard hat with no spaces. So text to 38470 hard hat and we will send you a link back to get that. Also, Gina, can you tell our listeners about how um, the other things that you offer and how they can connect with you. Absolutely. So come to my website. It's GinaLofton.com. G-E-N-A-L-O-F-T-O-N.com. Um, I do have the three steps for you to achieve financial freedom. Very easy steps for free. Just go online um, and you can get those steps. It's the exact same steps that I took to get out of the rat race in a few years. So um, GinaLofton.com is spelled with an E-G-E-N-A-L-O-F-T-O-N.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Gina is so great at, um, you know, understanding how to use debt and not pay taxes. And she has so much more to offer that. So make sure you go to her website, sign up for her free um, three steps on how to get out of the rat race, which means get out of um, having a job if you haven't heard that term before, but to have enough money to pay for your lifestyle without working from passive income. That's what Gina's all about, right, Gina? Absolutely. Tax efficient passive income, especially with the passage of tax reform, because ladies and gentlemen, if you are paying more than 20% in taxes, something's wrong. Yep. And Gina can help you with that. So if you're paying more than 20% in taxes, definitely get some help from Gina. So with that, Gina, why don't you give us any final parting words of encouragement or advice um, before we sign off here? 
Yeah, um, so for those of you, you know, continue um, listening to all of the podcasts and resources that are out there because there's a, a wealth of information and find out what is best for you, right? Because I'm telling you what my experiences are. Um, Holly does, you know, she is a flipper. She does it really well. There's so many ways to participate in investing. You need to figure out which is best for you. Well said. Well, with that, thank you listeners, as always, for listening. Make sure you go give us a review on the podcast player of your choice, whether that's iTunes or whatever. If you haven't already, we'd really appreciate that. So with that, get out there, take some action. Go to GinaLofton.com, go to our website, and learn how to get out of the rat race if you're still in it. Thanks for listening, and get out and make it a great day. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.